This evening we read the Word of God in 1 John. We will read chapter 4, 1 John 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, <clears throat> but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love Him, because He first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God 
love his brother also. And the Word of God that we consider this evening is verses 9 through 11. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We have seen, beloved, that the gospel of the birth of Jesus Christ is the glad tidings that God sent his Son into the world. And we have seen that this is a theme of the gospel that is repeated often in Scripture. And we are told it over and over again <clears throat> that God sent his Son. We have learned from the Word of God that the means by which God sent his Son into the world was his conception and birth by the Virgin Mary without an earthly father. He was sent by being made of a woman. We have also learned from the Word of God the purpose for which God sent his Son, that there are many reasons God sent his Son. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. God sent His Son to redeem us from the law that we might be adopted as His sons. And in our text tonight, we learn God sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. The Word of God that we consider tonight actually gives us the most basic and foundational purpose of God in sending His Son. The ultimate purpose or the goal or end of sending His Son is to save us. That salvation basically consists in redeeming us from the law and then adopting us. That is a good description of our salvation. But in order for that even to be possible, God must first send His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. It is by the propitiation for our sins that He redeems us, and in redeeming us, adopts us as His children and heirs. But you will notice that the theme for the sermon this evening is not that God sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Because there is in this text, in fact it is the very heart and soul of the text, is that there is another purpose of God even behind all that. Underlying the purpose of God to send His Son to be a propitiation for our sins so that He might redeem us from the law, so that we might be adopted as His children and heirs, is this purpose of God, that He might manifest His love. 
that He might manifest His love toward us. In other words, there could be and would be no salvation. That is, no redemption from the law, no adoption to be His children and heirs, no propitiation for our sins, except the love of God for us that He was manifesting in all that. Consider with me this evening, God sent His Son to manifest His love. We consider in the first place the work, the work that this was. The text informs us, and we know this because we considered it in a prior text, that God sending His Son is a work of love, was a work of love. For God so loved the world that He sent or gave His only begotten Son. That's what we learned. The text strengthens that by telling us that this was to manifest the love of God. In other words, all of the work, the work of God sending His Son, the work of the sending of His Son that was accomplished, namely redemption and adoption, is a work of love. And it is a work of love because God says He was manifesting His love in that. The love of God is His delight in us. It is the delight in God's heart for us. It is the will of God in His heart to do us good and only good. It is the desire of God's heart to have fellowship and friendship with us. That's what God's love is. And God loves and God can love because as we read, God is love. In other words, we should remember that even if we were not the objects of God's love, there are objects of God's love. God is love, and in His being, He loves. It's one of the things about God that is explained and can only be possible because God is a God of persons, a God of only one person who loved Himself would be strange, would be odd. We even recognize that a person that loves only themselves is, well, that's wrong. There's something wrong about that. Well, God loves Himself, but He loves Himself as a God of love in His own being, a Father for the Son and the Son for the Father and the Holy Spirit. And now we learn that God has another object of His love, and it's us. And that love with which God loves us is His very own love. The love that He is and the love that He expresses in His own being. It's not a different love. Another love. And this love must be manifest to us. God loves us, but we must know 
that love. It's possible in this life we know something of that. There is a young man who greatly loves a young woman. He loves her in his heart. He yearns for her. He wants to fellowship and have friendship with her. He desires her good and companionship. But unless he reveals that, unless he reveals that plainly and makes it manifest, that young woman will never know that love. That's the case with us and with regard to God. Now the text informs us that God determined to manifest His love, that is, reveal to us the lover, reveal to us His beloved, that love hidden in His heart and known only to Himself in His heart by sending His only begotten Son. This is a manifestation of God's love because the sending of God's Son is His act. It's God who sends His Son. We do not request Him. We do not ask for Him. We certainly do not send the Son. What we celebrate in Christmas, what we celebrate in the birth of Jesus Christ, is that God, God sent His Son. God delivered His Son. God gave His Son. And the text tells us exactly because it is God's act and an act of God's love, it therefore manifests, it reveals, it discloses to us the secret will and the secret delight of God to us. This is a manifestation of God's love because that which God sent was His only begotten Son. The text wants us to see that and understand it. That we understand that the reason God sending His Son is a manifestation of His love is due to who that Son is, who it is that God sends. God just does not send anyone or anything. God just doesn't do anything for us. But that which manifests the love of God is the sending of His only begotten Son. That we must understand. And the idea of the text is this is the great manifestation of God's love. There is no other way for Him to manifest it and reveal it to the richness and the extent that He does. The original actually reads this. It receives the emphasis. Herein is the love of God toward us manifest that His Son, His only begotten One, God sent into the world. You see the emphasis there it was the fact that he sent his son the only begotten son that manifests his love we see that when we look at Jesus Christ and we we realize who he is and what he is Jesus Christ is not 
simply something God makes. That's something God creates. Jesus Christ is not simply another creature in this creation, perhaps the most splendid creature of the creation. Someone that, as it were, rivals the angels in the glory with which God makes him or the power with which God endows him. No. No, Jesus Christ is not some ordinary creature made from scratch, but God sent His only begotten Son. And you understand a Son now, not simply because He is made of a woman, born of a woman. A Son in the sense that you and I are sons and daughters of our parents. That's true, of course. It is true, of course, that Jesus, not having an earthly father indeed has a heavenly father. His father is God. It is God who conceives him. It is God who causes him to be born and gives him life in the womb. And that with regard to his human nature. But understand, the manifestation of God's love is the sending of his only begotten son. That is... The Son that is eternally Son. That's the one who is made of a woman. That's the one who comes forth from the womb of the Virgin Mary. It is the eternally begotten God. God sends His Son who is God, who always was God, who as God holds the worlds in His hand. Who, as God, made the woman? That's the one God sends. And in the sending of Him, God manifests His love. Why is that the emphasis? Why is that the emphasis? Is it simply so that we think for a while, well, the one that was sent already existed. It proves that Jesus is God, and that's nice. No. No. Then we're not going to get the point. You see, the one that God sent was the one that He eternally loved. You see, so self-centered and selfish are we that when we even read a text like this, that God sent His Son to manifest His love, we think only about the love of God for us. But think a little deeper. How best for God to manifest His love by sending to us the eternal object of that love. You see, the one God sends is the one who lives eternally in the bosom of the Father. He is the eternal pride and joy of His Father. He is the one that the Father has taken eternal light long before you and I came along. Do you understand? Have you ever considered how quickly you begin to love your offspring? How a mother grieves who's only held a child 
in her arms for a minute before that child expires or is even stillborn, there's a grief there. And it's a grief that's caused by the bond of love that has formed in that short amount of time. And oh, how we would grieve if we lost a son who lived with us for a few years and was taken away. We love our children and we do that very quickly. And now, maybe perhaps you'll begin to understand the manifestation of this is the one that God has eternally begotten and the one that God has lived with and delighted in for an eternity, not just a few hours or a few months or a few years or even a human lifetime. God manifested His love toward us in that He sent His only begotten Son. The Bible speaks of this in a number of places. And the Bible directs us to this because it's not all about the love of God for us. Certainly, God wants to manifest that. But when God manifests that, God's manifesting it in such a way that He says, do you understand my love, the love that I have in mine own being? Do you understand the closeness of my being in the persons, how tight we are, how much we love one another? Well, I'm going to show you that. Now, it's certainly going to be a manifestation of my love for you, but think, first of all, about the love that I have. In Proverbs 8, verse 30, in the person of divine wisdom, we have the Son speaking there. And He says this, Then I was by Him, that is, God my Father, as one brought up by Him, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him. We have an expression of that in John 1, verse 17, about life in the bosom of the Father. In Matthew 3, 17, Jesus hears this from His Father at His baptism. This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's this Son that is sent. And now you understand this must be an act of love, and a manifestation of amazingly great love because the purpose of God in sending that Son is to be a propitiation for our sins. To understand this love of God, therefore, we have to know what that means. To be a propitiation for sins means to appease the wrath of another. In this case, it is the appeasing of God, the Father's own wrath that is upon us for our sins. And the means by which He appeases it is by sacrificing Himself and His life, the giving of His own life for our life, and giving that as a punishment for our sins. In other words, God sent His Son to be killed. That's brought out when we read God sent His Son into the world. He sent His only begotten Son into the world. 
And the chapter we read tells us all about that world. God didn't send him into an environment that would accept him and receive him. God sends him into a world that won't even make room for him in the end. That doesn't take sympathy, although it claims to. A world that hates God, that despises God, even while it pretends to worship God. A world that makes more idols than it can count rather than serve the living God, rather than serve the Creator, loves the creature. Sends him into a world that, well, by the age of 30-something, kills him in the most cruel way you can possibly imagine. This is the world into which God sends his Son. A world that hates that son, despises that son, that wants nothing to do with that son, that will deny that son comes in our flesh. A world that is dominated by a prince, the Antichrist, his spirit, and God sends him to be a propitiation. This is really the wonder of the incarnation we make a mistake sometime when this time of year we do focus on the incarnation because it is a mystery it is a wonder it is a wonder how Jesus is born how there can be the eternal person of the Son of God who takes a human nature unto himself and permanently unites it to himself And that which is born is God in human flesh while you're looking at a baby. The baby is God. That's an amazing thing to consider. But the real wonder of the incarnation is what the text tells us. This is is how God sends His Son into the world. This is how God sends His only begotten love into the world and his sole purpose is as a propitiation for our sins did you did you notice that <laughs> i've been using the word for but that's not entirely accurate according to the text look at in this was manifested the love of god toward us because that god sent his only son into the world that we might live through him Here in His love, not that we loved us, but that He loved us and sent His Son, now notice, to be the propitiation for our sins. And the words to be are inserted into the text or italicized. Literally, God sends His Son the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Well, it means that one need not look just at the cross to see that propitiation for our sins. Oh yes, that's when it all comes to focus, but the idea is the propitiation for our sins is there lying in that manger. The propitiation for our sins was born. He is that. He is the appeasement. The appeasement of the wrath of God. And He doesn't suffer that wrath just at the cross. Oh, that's when it comes to a culmination. That's when we see more than at any time that God, who loves him with an everlasting love, desires only good for him, 
is pouring out his wrath upon him. God, who desires his friendship and fellowship, thrusts him away so that he is abandoned. But that didn't start on the cross. That happened when he left the Father's bosom, as it were, was conceived in the womb of a sinful woman, was born just like you and I, wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. That was God saying, here, here's my love for you. Here is the propitiation for your sins. And he was the propitiation for our sins in all of his suffering, which he endured all his life long, because the cause of that suffering was not you and I, was not the world, it was not the devil. They were just instruments. All of his suffering was being poured out upon him from his Father. Do you understand now why we read, and this was manifest, the love of God? Such is the love of God that he fills up his own wrath against us and appeases it himself in the sending of his son to propitiation. That's what was going on. That's the wonder of Christmas. Worth noting how in the text the apostle moves from that to bring up our fears. Brings up the very fact that in this that God did there should be no fear. That perfect love casteth out fear. <clears throat> The idea is that when we see that love of God manifest in the sending of His Son to be a propitiation for our sins, we have no fear. For we have seen perfect love, perfect love manifest for us. You see, why is it we fear? We do fear. We fear all kinds of things. We fear human beings. We fear what they say and what we think. But most of all, isn't it true that we fear God? Why is it that man runs from the light? Why is it that man runs to the idol? And the answer is he fears God. And he fears God because he knows not that perfect love of God manifest in his Son, Jesus Christ. Because that means there is no hatred of God for you and me. None. Never has been. Never has been. All the hatred of God, the hatred of God that He has for our sins and our iniquities was poured out upon His Son. What God manifests toward us is love and only love. And that's true even, even when God disciplines us, when God corrects us. The one thing we must always view is view that in the light of God sending His Son to be a propitiation. There's there's where the sin was appeased. There was where God's wrath was taken away. Whatever there is and whatever painful circumstances and trials and tribulations, we ought not fear that God hates us. Because that, that would be unbelief. That would be to reject this very manifestation of the love of God to say, that can't be. But it is. That's the way it is. You see, that's the amazing thing about the love of God. That's what's brought out 
in the text is not only does God have an only begotten and beloved Son, but He has many, many others. We are called the loved of God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to so love one another. That's what we need to see. That's what we have to remember. Beloved. We hear that every Sunday, twice. Beloved congregation. Here it is in the text. And if one is going to ask, is that true? And how can that be true? Then the answer is, in this was manifest the love of God. He sent His Son, a propitiation for our sins. Now we're going to look a little bit more at the explanation of that. You see, God did that to manifest His love, and God did that in such a way that He wants us to look at and examine the quality of that love, to know what that love is like. Isn't that really what it's all about? When a man declares his love for a woman, the idea of that is not simply so that she knows he loves her, but he wants to show her actually what that love is, the character of it, the kind of it. God is doing that with regard to this and in fact brings it out in the text. That's why we read, herein is love. That's the Holy Spirit's way of saying, now look at that love. Examine that love. Consider that love. Consider that love wherewith He loved us. The Apostle isn't simply repeating that. So we look at that. What is the love of God for us that was manifest there? And the first thing we learn is that God's love for us is something that He, first of all, wants us to know. God does not want that hidden. God does not want us to doubt that love. Take note of that. It is not pleasing to God that we doubt His love. If we doubt His love, that's simply unbelief. If we doubt His love, that problem is on us. It's not on God. God has manifested His love. And He manifested it for one reason, that we might know it. <clears throat> Could there be any more obvious and clear proof that God does not delight in us doubting His love? He does not consider that a virtue. He does not consider that something we ought to do. And you, of course, know as well as I do that when we do that, it causes our own sin and iniquity, is it not? But more than that, we learn about God's love. Not only that He wants us to know it, but God's love acts. God's love is just not a desire, even a strong desire in His heart, an attitude. It's not simply something that he dwells on or thinks about. Although it is that, it is an amazing thing. Think of, think of how many people have been sustained through some pretty amazing trials during wartime, imprisonment, all kinds of stories like this. And 
frequently a theme that you find in there is that they were sustained through trials that ordinarily would kill someone, make them give up, make them give up hope, despair, except they kept thinking about the one who loved them back home or their own love for that person. Love has that kind of strength and it is good for us to think that in heaven our God, the almighty and eternal God, doesn't just think about us and observe us and see us, but there is in his heart a great delight, a joy, a yearning for us and for fellowship with us. That's what's in his heart, but it's more than that. God acts. Love acts. Love does something. And it should not then be any surprise that the God who is all-powerful, omnipotent, when He manifested His love, acted in a way that displays all His great power and all His great kingship and all that He is. God acted in His love. Didn't just sit by. Didn't just watch didn't just leave it to us to figure out anything. No, God acted. We need to remember that. God didn't act simply because we couldn't. There's truth to that, you know. There's truth to the fact that God acted in the sending of His Son to be a propitiation because there was no other way. No one knew that better than God. We certainly don't know that. We certainly have a hard time figuring that out. We can't propitiate for our sins, and we can't have fellowship with God unless that's done. We can't be His sons and daughters unless we're redeemed from the law. None of these things are obvious to us. God must do it, but that's not the only reason that God acts. God acts simply because He loves us. He sees our need. He sees our plight. He sees our trouble, and He sees one thing better than we see, fact, something we would never see if it weren't for God, and that is He must act. Another aspect of God's love manifest in the sending of His Son to be a propitiation of our sins is that love acts even when it is very, very costly. Love acts even when it costs one their own life. That's what God knew. That's what is revealed in the sending of His Son, is it not? God, as it were, tore from His bosom His own Son and sent Him into the world to be held by another, to be held by a sinner. And the sending of His Son was going to cost Him, going to cost Him despising and ridicule that is unimaginable to us. We cannot even fully comprehend it. Can you imagine? It's one thing to be hated by people that you grew up with. Being hated by people that were in your own family or being hated by classmates or even other human beings, your equals, that's, that's one thing. God is going to be hated and despised by the very creatures that He makes. 
The Son, He sends His Son into the world for, to be a propitiation for, are creatures that He made and creatures that rejected Him, that cast Him off, that were rebellious against Him. Those same creatures now He must send and be a propitiation for their sins. Oh, how costly is that? Compare that to our love. We we read a chapter like 1 John 4, and sometimes they're our favorite chapters because we look at them and it talks about loving our neighbor, and it boils down basically the whole Christian life to just loving your neighbor. And you say, oh, that, 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 we can do that. No, you can't. No, I can't. We don't love our neighbor. Even when we love our neighbor by the Spirit, we fall so far short of what it really is. We withhold love because it's too costly, too painful, because the other is not worthy of our love. Well, God says, well, this is love. This is what it is. This is what it's like. This is what it does. And the real problem, when we, we can hardly give, beside the fact that we don't realize that what we can't give is actually what God already gave us, we only return to Him what He gave us. We only give to others what He gave us, but we fail to realize what God gave when He gave to us and the cost of that. We act like, oh, well, we look at God sort of like the rich king. Well, of course he gave that. He's the rich man. He gave his only begotten son unto death. That doesn't yet get to the bottom of everything, you see. There's something else that the text emphasizes that God wants to manifest about his love. And that is, it's a love for you and me who didn't love Him. You see, there's something about us where we look at a text like this and we read this, and we've been given some enlightenment, and even then we sort of imagine to ourselves that God sent His love, His Son in love for us because we were sort of lovely, because we loved Him first. That's really what explains it. God says nothing of the sort. In fact, it's put in rather shocking language. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. If you want to know the love of God, then strip yourself of any thought that you loved Him. Strip yourself of any thought that you really love Him even now. You want to know what love is? It's that God loved us. Oh yes, we love God. The Apostle makes that very clear, those who say we can't. As regenerated children with the Spirit of God are lying, we love Him. It says in verse 19, we love Him. When it comes to considering the love of God, strip yourself of that. And consider that you love Him only because He loved you. God sent His Son, not because you loved Him, but only because He loved you. We have Christmas time, not because you love Him, but only because He loved you. Do you understand that? Do I understand that? That even now as we gather together and we consider Christmas, as we consider the Incarnation, we consider the wonder of the manger and the birth of Christ, 
we often look at ourselves and sort of pat ourselves on this back and we say, wasn't that lovely? Do, do we not love this Savior? And we forget. He loved you. That's why you love Him. It's because He loved you that He sent His Son made of a woman. It's because He loved you that He redeemed you from the law and adopted you as His sons and daughters. You love Him because you are now His son and daughter. You love Him because He first loved you. Why is it so important for us to remember that? Why is that a theme that's found here in this passage? Certainly, I suppose, it's possible to read this without that being there. The truth of the matter wouldn't be harmed at all. It's possible to preach on this and, I suppose, leave it out, and, and the truth of the matter still would be somewhat known. And yet, no, God says no. When I manifest my love, one of the things that I want to manifest about my love is that reality. This is love. Herein is love. This is what it consists of. Not that you love me, but I loved you. Now why? Well, ask yourself, what is it that makes you doubt His love? And don't say, I don't doubt His love. You do. When we sin against God, what is that? Is that love for God? No, it's not love for God. It's hatred for God. It's rebellion against God. And why do we spend all of our time trying to imagine that it is love and trying to pass it off as love? Why is it that we spend so much time justifying that kind of behavior when God so clearly says, no, that's hatred. When you give yourself to all the money of this world and you spend all your time doing what you're doing, that's idolatry. That's hatred of me. Well, that's why we doubt the love of God, is it not? Isn't that why we would not have joy this time of year? Why is that, <clears throat> is that not why we are often stripped of joy? We doubt the love of God, and the reason is we somehow imagine that that love of God is dependent upon our love. And if that's the case, well, then we're doomed. Then we're doomed. And God says, no, you don't understand. The reason this was done the way it was done is exactly to show and demonstrate without a shadow of a doubt that none of this depends upon your love for me. My sending my son doesn't depend on your love for me. And it's not just because you weren't there, because somehow we imagine that too. Well, yeah, I sort of get the text. I sort of get the text that it's not dependent upon my love because after all, I, I wasn't there and we sort of imagined that if we were there at that time, while well, we would have made room in the end, we wouldn't have been among those shouting crucify, crucify. But the fact is, that's not true. We are all sinners. And whenever we sin, that's an expression of our hatred for God and His love manifest in Jesus Christ. And what's fact is even instinctively understand that. What we do when we sin is worse than the world because we sin against this love of God. So God reminds us here in His love, not that you love me, but that I loved you. And you must know that so you never, ever doubt my love. 
And so you never, ever run the other way and go somewhere else. Find satisfaction and joy in another son, in another idol, in another God. Because there is propitiation of sin only in Him. Now, there is a result in all of this, too, that is pointed out very wonderfully in the text. We read, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's love. Now, beloved, those loved by God, God has something to say. The Holy Gospel that comes to us in the Word of God is never a period right after the text we read, but it comes, beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought also to love one another. Notice that. That's the Spirit that put that there. And it's quite amazing what was not put there. What you would expect is this, beloved, if God so loved us, then love God. If God so loved us, then give your life to God. If God so loved us, then give God the time and the energy that is due unto His most glorious name. Don't, don't give all your time and energy to yourself. Isn't it kind of amazing how when we celebrate such wondrous love of God for us, how much time we spend on ourselves this time of year? How much time have you really thought, really thought about what God did? And we're really good at giving gifts to one another and packaging them up right, making sure that the right gifts and all that, and, and, and doing that often for all kinds of wrong reasons beside, to please others to make them think well of us. But that's not even what the text says. The text is, we ought also to love one another. You see, when God does what He does, He creates, as it were, a debt. That's why He says ought. You should. Given what God has done, this is what you must do. This is what you ought to do. This is what is owed of you. And God doesn't even direct us back to Himself. Now, He does. The Apostle explains how it is. But He directs us to one another. Now, the idea of the text isn't that we can replicate God's love. We can't even duplicate what He does. And very importantly, God doesn't say in the text what I mistakenly said earlier. If God so loved us, then so love one another. We, that's not there. That's not written that way. Not written that way deliberately. There's no way that you and I could do what God does. Only God can do what He does. Nevertheless, the idea of the passage is that God, who so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son to redeem us from the law, from the curse of the killing of the law, who adopted us as His sons and daughters, and who therefore fills us with His love, expects us to love one another with the very same love. And understand that. It's just not an example. It's just not something that is our love for one another, and it sort of resembles God, but the idea is we love one another with the same, same 
love. It's God's own love. The love with which God loved us. Therefore, love one another. And it should have that character. It should have that character. And that's, that's really how we ought to judge how we love one another. I would have no doubt that if I would go to any congregation anywhere and poke my head in the door and talk to a few people and say, is this a loving congregation? Do you love one another? Everybody would say, oh yeah. Oh yes, we are so filled with love over here. We all love each other. And then you start examining it and looking at it in the light of God's love for us. You find out it's anything but. This person can't see that person or visit with that person because they hurt them somehow. They injured them. They said something wrong or they looked at them funny. They can't express their love because, well, it's too costly. Yes, this person is lonely and needs some friends, but we don't have time. We're too busy. Yes, this person over here could use some help with regard to this or that issue in their life, but I'll leave it to others. That's not love. It might pass for love somewhere else, but it shouldn't in the church where we have God manifesting His love and telling us to love in the same way one another. You see, that's how we thank God. That's how we show God what we think of His love. And that's what really happens, too. If we truly understand the love of God for us, this so, here in His love, what love, this love, Look how He so loved us. Then in the church, there should never be any need, any lack, any want. And it's a church where, where we can do anything. There's nothing too costly, nothing that would prevent us from saying, this is what I will do. Never a thought where it says, well, that would hurt me, that would harm me, that would humble me. You see, that's the love that the Apostle is talking about that should reign and live in the church, especially among those who are his sons and daughters and those for whom he propitiated their sins with the gift of his only begotten Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father in heaven, we are sorry for our selfishness, our self-love. We are sorry, O Lord, that we have been shown so much love, manifested so much love, and we know it and we understand it, and yet we remain selfish in this flesh. We despise and hate this, and we pray forgive our sins, O Lord, in that propitiation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, thy wrath is poured out upon him, and change us and turn us every day of our life. Turn us away from our own selfishness and our own idolatry to serve Thee, the living God, by truly loving one another as Thou hast loved us. And give unto Thee, O Lord, all glory and honor and praise, for indeed that is love.
Not that we love thee, but thou hast loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.